Father, as we come to open your word, we ask that through your Holy Spirit you would move in our hearts, our minds, our thoughts, cause us to be able to set the distractions of, of the, the, the day aside, uh, things from last week, things ahead, Super Bowl this afternoon, uh, and Lord, we just ask that you would be with us as we, we go through your word with your Holy Spirit, inspiring us to hear, to see, to understand things that we didn't see before, and being able to see how to put them to use in our lives. We worship you and thank you that you have revealed yourself to us and that your Holy Spirit is here to help us to understand your word. We worship you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Yeah, I know, actually know some people may not even be watching the Super Bowl. But, uh, you know, 49ers didn't make it or whatever other favorite team you have. But uh, I was informed by my sister that she will be texting me whether I'm watching it or not as it goes along. So I guess I better watch some of it at least. I, yeah, and it's so late in the day now. You know, it used to be able to, I could catch my nap for the first three quarters and finish the game and still feel like I knew all about it, but it's not going to work that way. <laughs> Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through 8, you said, are we ever going to get out of these verses? I'm, I'm not in a hurry. The things that we're talking about here are important. And uh, again, we're talking about the spiritual gifts that God has given the church so that we, the church, can minister one to another, not pastors only and elders only or deacons only, but, but the idea of all of us called to be the priesthood of believers, sharing the gifts that God has given us. And the gift that, 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 that God has given me isn't, you know, isn't the same gift that everybody else has, nor the same way with you. We desperately need each other functioning together in Christ to have the fullness of Christ working in our congregation. So we've been going through these uh, one by one. We've talked about prophecy. We've talked about serving. And I'm going to jump out of order here and go down to giving and, uh, uh, because it kind of parallels with the idea of the serving as well. So picking up verse 6, Paul's writing. He says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service, in our serving. The one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes or gives in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And it's just interesting that, and I'm not saying that, and I said this last week with the idea of service, that, that giving and, or you know, contributing, giving, sharing uh, as a gift and mercy not that they'll all go into one person, but they kind of parallel together in the sense of ministry and, and working to, to meet the needs of people around us. So we talked last week about serving. And I, I, meant, I, I hope I got this through. And that is, is that while there is a gift of serving, that doesn't excuse any of us from serving in a general capacity. And, and I want to emphasize that. There are some people who just have that gift. They, 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 they see something and they know, and, and, and they minister. And, and sometimes I really believe that God gives them a, a heads up even in a prayer or something, and they, and they, they sense something and they pray, and they'll call someone and say, I just I felt the need to pray for you. And they'll say, oh, yeah, well, this is happening. And the next thing you know, that person's over there taking care of a need or meeting a need, this type of thing. And so the idea of serving is, is, uh, is above and beyond, in a sense, what we're all called to do. If any of us see a need, well, James basically says you see a need around you and you have the means to, to do something about it and you don't, it's sin. Basically, to paraphrase the way he put it. You know, some people will see a need and they'll call the, the pastor and say, oh, well, you need to send a deacon over or you need to send an elder over or something like that when it could have been just as easy and possibly what God was trying to get done for the person thinking that and you know, seeing that to do it and take care of it. Okay? That wouldn't be the gift of service as much as it's just God prompting you to see a need that needs to be taken care of. That's how we minister to one another. It's how we minister in our homes. It's how husbands and wives minister to one another and we minister to our children and, and uh, all the way around. So 
you're not excused from serving in the sense of general requirement because I don't have the gift of servant, okay? We're all called to serve. Well, it's the same thing with giving. And, you know, spiritual gift of giving, uh, in order to, to really grasp it, I think we have to understand giving in the first place, if you will, giving in a rather general capacity. And, you know, the, the picture comes down to, uh, you know, your... You know, what do you know about giving and, you know, and tithing and all these things that go with the concept of giving uh, that this board, you know, a person who is coming alongside and giving in this capacity is, is more than just the financial giving, I believe, but, but still the idea of, 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 of the foundation of giving, we talk about a word tithing. We, we read it in scripture, we uh, hear it sometimes uh, on, you know, in preaching and teaching. Uh, and a lot of times we still don't really grasp the fullness of what God is doing there. And so I was trying to figure out how I could relate to you how I have come to the point where I am in understanding my giving, my tithing, my regular giving to the, the church and to the work of, of, of the Lord and, and his church. And when I first became a Christian, I knew that giving was a part of the, the, the body of Christ. The reason I knew this was because, not because I had been going to church uh, and, and, and figured that out and, you know, through three or four sermons. I simply, the, the very first Sunday that I went to church, you know, I'm 26 years old, where I have my mind open and ready to see what's going on around me, and, and they passed an offering plate. <laughs> and people were putting stuff in it. You know, and mostly currency. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, and nobody was taking anything out of it that I noticed. So I was pretty sure that this was something that we were, uh, you know, supposed to do. And after about a month of, of not really, you know, I'd come by a couple of bucks or whatever because I, I felt like I wanted, not just to feel like, you know, I don't want to be different than anybody else, but, but I wanted to participate. And I felt, okay, and, and uh, quite candidly, I didn't have a clue as to anything other than I knew that this money, because of the prayers that by this time that the elders had shared or, or someone had shared in praying for the offering, that they took care of, of helping missions and paying bills and different types of things, and, and that we were always giving thanks to God and asking him to multiply it to, to meet the needs that, that he's designated it for type of thing. So I knew it was a part of walking with, with the Lord on a personal basis as well as a collective basis. So I decided, well, I, in order to figure it out, and Kathy and I, we, we I, you know, I, by this time, most of you know, I, I had been studying the scripture a good year and a half before I became a Christian. And so I had quite a library, so I went to a topical book that I had and the concordance that I had, and I looked up tithing, I read all the scriptures, and I said, okay, 10%. And so I figured out a system, and, uh, you know, 10% you know, of, of, of what, really, I didn't understand it. So uh, I, I basically took 10% of whatever was in my personal checkbook on Sunday. Yeah, you know, it you know, worked for me. Okay. <laughs> I found out very quickly that, that I, I wasn't able to maintain that um, unless I was sure that I paid all my bills first. <laughs> and then it was, I could afford it. Uh, you know, I, I was, I, candidly, I was just trying to figure it out on my own because I thought it was something that should be obvious. So finally, I went to one of the elders and said, I don't really understand what it is to, to give. And the first thing he did was share with me Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 through 10. And I will share those with you this morning. Malachi, Malachi 3, 6 through 10. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, the Hebrew people, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Yet he hasn't consumed them. That's what he's trying to say. There's been mercy and grace going on here. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? In other words, they're having kind of the attitude, we're already here. Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. 
But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to rest, says the Lord of hosts. Uh, a test, says the Lord uh, of hosts. It will not open, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. And so I'm looking at that saying, okay, I'm not sure that I fully understand what he's saying here, but I can clearly say there's a principle, and one of it has to do with the concept, the word, the whole tithe. I thought that was interesting by itself. That was the thing that jumped out to me. What's a, what, I, I'm not ignorant. I know the word tithe means a tenth. But it said the whole tithe. And I thought, does that mean that there's a ten point something? Or, or you know, is there something in the day? You know, whatever it was. And I didn't realize at this time how much more than the tithe that the Hebrew people were caused, called to give. And that has to do with the word contributions here uh, as well. It depends on who you talk to and, and they study it and look at it. Uh, but anywhere from 23% to 30% additional giving you know, or with the tithe in their income. But it was also to support the Levitical priesthood, to support the civil way of, of, of the Jewish workings of things, and, and, and it was you know, to keep the temple going and on various and sundry things. And, and so I asked the, the elder that I, was, that I was talking to, and I'll just call him elder number one, and, and he, he said, yeah, it means a tenth of the whole. And I said, well, what's the whole? And he says, well, he says, there's more than one way to figure that out. Don't you love it when you start out with that? What's the whole? I've, you know, I'm sitting here, here's the whole bottle. <laughs> you know? And there's more than one way to figure that out. <laughs> and I, I, you know, me, I'm going to look at it and say, I, I don't get it. And, and he said, well, he said, for instance, he says, you have... So you have to pay Social Security, and that's taken out of your check. Well, some people tithe the gross income, their Social Security or their taxes and all that kind of stuff, and as well as their, 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 their take-home. So their take-home plus their taxes plus their Social Security and you know, all the things that they take out, it's the gross pay, they, they, that, they'll tithe that. And he said, and, and when they retire, then so they've already tithe their Social Security, they don't have to tithe it when they retire. Oh, okay. Um, he chose, he, he, chose he, takes home, he chose to take the whole take-home. Notice how the whole take-home, that's what he tithed. And he'll tithe the Social Security when he gets it. And, and as far as income tax, if he gets a return, he looks at it as a, as, as a blessing and he tithes that. And, and, and so, you know, I, oh, that was uh, okay, but it seemed kind of sketchy. I mean, there still, still seemed. So uh, I went to, I ended up talking to three different elders. I went to elder number two just out of curiosity, and he, he just pointed, he was no hesitation. He just says, here's what I made, the gross, and all, anything that anybody has given me, including if somebody gives me a car or if anybody, you know, whatever, that's all in there, and I just simply write 10%. And he'd sit down and figure it out, literally, with a calculator, to the penny, so he didn't miss any of it. And then the third elder that I talked to, who happened to also be a business owner as I was myself, uh, he, he added another part of this is to, he, he tied what his business paid him. He was basically, whatever money he took home out of the business, that's what he tithed. And then... Since he owned the business, the profit of it, the business that was separate from what he took home, he also tithed. So I've got three different pictures of tithing here. I went with the last one with Tom's because that seemed to be the closest to what I related to in my business and this type of thing. And I was completely satisfied with that. And, it, and, it, and I didn't feel any compulsion to, to look at it and, and, and be concerned. I, fe I felt with... All my heart, I could comfortably lay this on the altar before God and walk away confident that he and I were on the same page with what he had told me to be comfortable with in my giving.
I did what Tom did, by the way. I calculated it to the penny. Uh, and uh, because I, again, for the same purpose, for what he told me. I don't want to misrepresent it. So, I mean, you might have a check where you, you made, uh, you know, $4,375.67. Well, you type that in and multiply it times, you know, 0.10, and whatever that came out, you would round up or round down. You know, well, Tom always rounded up the penny. And, and so I, I figured that's what you do, and, and that's what you would pay. Now, I had another question, of course. As soon as we had the, got that all figured out, we had a group from Ozark Bible College. Uh, they were uh, uh, a band that made a visual presentation at the same time. You remember these, uh, Nancy, because uh, uh, I think we had them play up here at one point. And uh, the just fantastic visual, audio-visual presentation. And for 1977-78, that was phenomenal. Uh, you know, and uh, it was uh, just great. And then there was the opportunity to share for money to go to scholarships for these musicians. So, and I thought, okay. And so I, 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 I gave money, and I turned around, and then I had to wrestle with it. Do I deduct that now from the tithe that I write at the end of the, the, the month or at the first of the month, depending on how, however you do it? You know, when I write that check, do I deduct that out of that? And I thought, well, yeah, because, well, I don't know. Um, Tom! And he says, no, that's the, the kind of what you go back to Malachi. That's kind of the contributions above the tithe. And, and he says, you know, if you write, you know, if you if you feel you need a tax write-off for it or whatever, you know, most of them will give you a tax, you know, receipt for it eventually or whatever, all those kinds of things that went with that. So I was trying again to figure all of this out, but I came to that point again where I'm at peace with where I am. Do you understand? I want you to understand that, that the understanding of giving to the Lord can be a growing experience. Is what I'm trying to say. It doesn't necessarily start out. At, at any particular level, and, 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 you know, and, you know, it's just you need to wrestle with it. You need to think about it. It's no insignificant part of what the Scripture talks about. And so, the, 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 you know, while I'm in Bible college, there was a new dilemma. Because I know, and, and this is part of the growing, in Galatians 6, 6, it tells me to support those who are teaching me. That, and that's the kind of the concept going that your tithe going to your local church to support it who's teaching you and the foundation and giving you the foundation to grow on and to build on. That's still my home church in Atascadero. But I'm at Bible College in San Jose. And I'm sitting under teaching there. But not only that, I'm involved in a local church. So do I give to the local church? Do I give to the Bible college? Do I give back to my home church and, and just, you know, how do you, how do you find this? And, and uh, who gets the tent? Again, you know, uh, you know, there's a, a, another, you know, one who's, the, literally it says, one who's taught in 6.6, 6, Galatians 6.6, 6, one who's taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. And then 1 Corinthians 9.14 says, the Lord has ordained that, which, uh, that they which preach the gospel should live off the gospel. So the need to support them, to give them, you know. And, and I'm saying, I'm getting taught by all three. Well, I'll support all three. And, and I went by months. Month one, went to my home church. Month two, went to the local church. Month three, went to Bible college. By the way, I was comfortable with that, and I don't feel I shortchanged anything at that point in time in my understanding of what's going on with giving. During that time, while in Bible college, I came to understand what I'd like to pass on to you this morning. Now look again, you know, Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 through 10. There was the tithes and the contributions. 
The tithe is the base. The contributions are above and beyond. And then there's that picture in verse 10 that he gives us. Test and see if I will not meet your needs. I will share with you, and I'm cautious about this. I don't, you know, there's no pats on the back deserved here. Just a, a, a situation. As I was wrestling with this giving, but I was faithful and consistently trying to figure it out and giving to the church, I came up to a situation that was very difficult. I was going, I, I was working on a uh, Mark 8 Jaguar, wood in, all the wood interior. And it happened to be a left-hand drive, which even in the United States was not normal. And so it was unique. And the dashboard is kind of a wallet that wraps around in a big, huge, long piece. And I had it up on the uh, stand that holds it where I can finish it and repair it and all this kind of stuff. I don't know how I did this. But I turned around, and I knocked it, and it hit the floor. And I, but I, I caught the end of it first. And I thought, I've got a hold of it. Even though it was still wet you know, from the finish it was on it, I figured I, that I can take care of. I don't want it to hit the ground. And it, I, I tell you, it barely touched the cement floor on the corner, and it broke like a wishbone. Split right down the middle. And I immediately called an acquaintance at uh, 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 John Harris Car Facility, uh, who was involved in the car restorations, my uncle. <laughs> <laughs> and he says, Bob, if we had one, I couldn't, I couldn't do anything because we don't sell anything. We only trade. I'm thinking, well, what you need that I might be able to get someplace else that I could trade for this because i got to get this fixed. I, you know, I was just... I was brokenhearted. When I called the owner, he cried. I'm serious. And uh, I found a place back east that made copies. With, uh, it's fiberglass underneath. And the owner says, well, if that's what I have to have, I wanted it to be original, but what can I do? And uh, so I, I called my friend, my, my, the one that my uncle put me in touch with, with Harris, gave me a number in Italy. England and France, and all three of them bust, except there, there was one more, a, sec, a, third, a second one in, in, in London, and he had all the things, the, the, he had the dashboard, but he wanted a couple thousand bucks for it. That, that was way out of my league. And, uh, but I was trying to figure out how to do that. He says, one more thing. He says, call such and such a place in Massachusetts. Well, this is the place I'd called that had the, the reproduction. So I called him back and he says, well, I happen to have one that I made my original cast from, uh, the dashboard and, and all the wood for that model. But he says, uh, you have to take it all. And again, I really didn't know at this point, my business is, is, is still in the infant stages of getting going and stuff. I don't have a bank account that can, can carry much. I said, I don't know how to do this, but, but uh, how much? You know, and he says, let's see, $115. And I said, well, I, 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 you know, do I have to write a you know, check? And he says, yeah. We'll send it on, on, on what they call when, you know, I can't remember what the word is. Huh? COD. Pay on delivery. Cost, you, know, you know, cash on, on delivery. <laughs> so that works. <laughs> now, you know, and when it came, the day before it came, a lady whose furniture I had, who I hadn't even started on to refinish, decided that she had enough money that she wanted to pay half of it before, while she could. And so she paid me in advance $125, which, with all the shipping, covered the 123 something. Now I'm confident that you know, and I and I still get goosebumps about this because I am confident, and I've had this happen more than once, that this has to do with God's covering me as I am faithful in giving and doing what I'm called to do. Have I ever been out of money? You bet. 
Do I have every need the way I perceive it met? No. But you know what? I am, I've got a, I, you know, I'm still here. <laughs> I, I'm still, you know, I, I, I still have food to eat. I still have a car to drive. I'm still blessed, even in, in the context of our culture. And if you compare it to the rest of the world's economy, I'm really blessed. And so I feel that there's the, the, this test isn't so much the idea of test to, you know, do it and say, okay, God, I'm testing you. I'm going to give $1,000 here and see if you can give me back too or whatever. You know, uh, as much as the test is more of a be faithful and see if I'm not faithful. Now, there is a problem here, and it, and it happened to me, and that's the letter versus the spirit of the law. Remember, I, I told you how I was figuring this by calculation to the last penny, basically. And I kind of, you know, had an attitude that anybody who wasn't tithing that absolute 10% the way, you know, that, in that format, um, well, there's just, they, they needed to be talked to. <laughs> Um, I mean, 10% is the rule for Christians. Well, still in Bible college. Which New Testament verse says that? And I wasn't aware of this. There is no explicit verse in the New Testament that says that we're to tithe. Paul doesn't say it. Jesus doesn't say it. Peter, James, John, Mark, Luke, Matthew. Now, there are some verses that imply, but I realize that there could be room for someone to look at this and see something slightly different than what I see. And it took me back to that's. All, I had three elders give me three basic ideas. You know, what I found out was the one thing that was important was that there needs to be a consistency in your giving, and it's between you and the Lord to become faithful with it. By the way, one of the reasons I don't choose, I choose not to know who gives what. Some churches, your spirituality is gauged by your giving. You fill out a form that says how much money you make a year, and there's somebody that will come and actually talk to you if your tithe doesn't represent that. That's some of the stricter churches, but they do that. I was told by one person, how in the world are you going to know where your people are spiritually if you don't know how much money they're giving? And so I looked at this, though, and coming to this conclusion. However, when I will teach you, I will tell you with absolute confidence that I still believe the tithe, the tenth, the base, is, is what we are supposed to be giving. And when somebody says of the whole, you figure that out. You want to give the whole of your gross or the whole of your take home and pay your Social Security later. I, I'm not going to worry about that. But the concept of the, of, of, of the giving that's there. And I come to that conclusion that we're, that first off, again, that we're called to support the local congregation where we are being fed and learning to feed others. And there's clearly a principle of giving back to the Lord a portion, at least, of what he has blessed you with. There's a principle of giving that establishes the foundation or the base, and it talks about it, and I believe it says it's a tithe. And here's why. Before the law, this is where we get in our argument. Well, the Old Testament law talks about the tithe, and we're not under the law anymore, da 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 da, -da. Before the Old Testament law, Jacob, in Genesis chapter 28, and we all know this, you know, kids, if you've been in church, you know, you remember that Jacob lays down, puts a rock under his head for his pillow, and he has a dream, and it's called Jacob's Ladder. It goes, you know, all that goes with it. At the end of the chapter, he says, I know that this is a place for, where God has met me, da 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 da, da and for, I will give a tenth of everything you give me. Period. And it was an act of worship. God didn't say this. 
Jacob said, whoa, this. And God receives it. There's no change or anything in that. And I found that interesting because Abraham did something similar clear back in Genesis 14. Maybe this is where Jacob got the idea in the first place. I don't know. But in Genesis 14, the Valley of Zor was raided by foreign armies. I'm not going to go into all the details. The first 15, 16 verses or so uh, talk about the battles and, and how ultimately Lot, Abraham's nephew, and the possessions of the, of the five kings of the Valley of Zor were, and, and many of the people were carted off and taken captive, and, 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 and the army was moving now away. Abraham says, not my, grand, not my nephew you're taking. That's, that's my blood. I'm coming after him. He went after him with 318 trained men. Five kings with their armies had come against this. I, I find this a typical God. He goes after him, and they run. <laughs> he chases them clear to Damascus. Coming back, and, 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 and he's in the, 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 the valley there in, 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 in the, the Jordan, Jerusalem area, and, and down below that, and uh, he meets a guy by the name of Melchizedek. And Melchizedek gives them bread and wine, which is a whole interesting picture in and of itself that could go someplace else. And then blesses Abraham. Well, in the culture that you're dealing with here, only, and, and you can go into the scripture and, and, and see it in a minute here, but only this, the, the one who is greater gives the blessing to the one who is less. So fathers hand down blessings to sons. Grandfathers hand down, you know, this, that, the patriarchal kind of context and stuff. Well, who was this Melchizedek? Well, Gen Gen uh, um, you know, Genesis says that uh, he was uh, king of Salem and the priest of God Most High, which was a unique combination all by itself. He was a king and a priest. And again, I want you to note, this is before the law of Moses. And so, if you, if you want to get a, a, a New Testament reference to this, which, you know, is important to me to see, you turn to Hebrews chapter 7. And we get some additional information about Melchizedek. Remember, all scriptures God breathed. So we're going to get some insight to Melchizedek that we wouldn't get just reading Genesis 14. And we'll get some insight as to what was happening there as well in a, a broader picture. Hebrews chapter 7. For this Melchizedek, <laughs> this Melchizedek, king of Salem, prince of the most high God, met Abraham returning from the, the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him, Abraham... To Melchizedek, Abraham appointed a tenth part of everything that he had with him, which was the spoils of war and the stuff that he was bringing home. Is, it seems to be included in that. He is first by translation, this Melchizedek, by his, of his name, king of righteousness. And then he is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. He is without father or mother, or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. See how great this man was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils. Drop down to verse uh, uh, 6. But this man who does not have the, the, his descent from, from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. Abraham had the promises from God, and Melchizedek blessed him. It is beyond dispute that the inferior, the lower, is blessed by the superior. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one of whom is testified that he lives, referring to Melchizedek. One might even say, and well, we'll get to that verse in a minute. 
what happened was this king of righteousness, this king of peace, the person who's labeled here without father or mother, without genealogy, no beginning or end of life, verse 8 says he lives. He resembles the Son of God. Uh, he is uh, a priest forever. Melchizedek received a tenth, a tithe from Abraham. He had blessed Abraham. Abraham returned that with an act of worship and recognition. Melchizedek is greater than Abraham in this picture, very clearly. Now, people are going to argue until the Lord returns about who Melchizedek is. Other than, if you continue to read in this, you will see that Christ's priesthood is under the order of Melchizedek. Why? Well, first off, because he, he's not a Levite. He's, a, he's from Judah. He can't be a priest and a king. But under the order of Melchizedek, guess what? There are priests and kings. <laughs> We've got a track record. With that in mind, Melchizedek is nothing less than, because it says it resembles the Son of God in such a way here, that it's nothing less than a picture, a type of picture of Christ and, and, his, and his position. King of righteousness, king of peace. God, you know, the, the, the high priest who serves the God most high. And, and he lives forever in the sense of his priesthood. So he's nothing less than a type of Christ. Uh, but some people will say, and I tend to lean this way, is that it is a Christophany, an actual appearance of Christ in the Old Testament. Doesn't really matter as far as what we want to see in this. In the midst of this recounting, I want you to note something about Levi, Levites. <laughs> I didn't mean to get too personal there. Verse 5. Well, go back to verse 4. See how great this man was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils, and those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people. That is, from their brothers, their fellow descendants of Abraham. Those, uh, though these are also descended from Abraham. What he's saying is, is that with the law, the Levites took the tithe that God commanded to support the work of, of the temple and the priests. And... These guys, well, look at verse 9. One might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, actually paid tithes through Abraham, uh, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him, Abraham. Okay, now, try to explain this. Here's Levi, who is the, down the, the lineage line from, from, from Abraham. He's told to collect tithes, Okay. So that's his, his priestly job is one of the things that they do, okay? And the, to take care of the offerings and all the priestly duties. But before there was a law, Abraham already had tithe and set in, in mind a principle. And the interesting thing is that the, the Levites aren't called, you know, he says, even the Levites, if you think about it, actually tithed when Abraham did to Melchizedek. How is that possible? Well, who is their father by lineage? Abraham, that's why he says they were in his loins, i.e. his seed, i.e. his descendants. He says they already, had set the, they already were in motion as to this principle of tithing. Therefore, all the descendants implied are in motion with this idea of the principle of tithing before there was ever a law. Well, you might be able to say, I'm not Jews, Jewish by ethnic, therefore I'm not an actual direct descendant of Abraham. doesn't work. Paul makes it clear 
Jesus even makes it clear. We are, by putting our faith in Christ, we become the, 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 the descendants of Abraham. And so in a spiritual context of our walk with Christ, we tithed when Abraham did. We embrace that principle of tithing. Now, this is my looking at this, okay? You know, you're gonna, you can go and find some other interpretation, and that's fine. I don't have a problem with anybody disagreeing with this, but this is how I see it. There is a principle that's been set by Abraham and Jacob before the law that says tithing to God in a sense of worship and honor and reverence and, 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 and thankfulness is a principle. And it's, a good, it's the foundational principle that God turned and used when he did establish the law. Jesus never refuted it. Paul never refuted it. The argument for it not being a new temple principle is by absence of it not being said that it is or it isn't. You know, we just doesn't say that it is, therefore we can assume maybe it's not. I'm going to suggest to you that's not at liberty because we were in spiritually the loins of Abraham when he established that principle through God's giving, and as a result, we're in agreement if we're in agreement with Abraham as our spiritual father Abraham and be the descendants of him. Abe paid a tenth to Melchizedek, a type of Christ at least. Through Abe, his descendants paid a tenth to Melchizedek. Specifically, Levi and the Levitical priesthood. I am a descendant of Abraham through Christ. I should pay a tithe to him too. I don't know if that's completely mathematical square, but it... it, it it works. For me, I believe the concept of the tithe is the foundation of your giving. It's the starting place. When you think about it, what part of my resources actually belong to God anyway? Yeah, we can't make that claim. So giving back a tenth is really symbolic of what? Surrendering it all. I surrender all. Yeah. I surrender all. That's as close as you'll get a song out of me normally. Um, we see sometimes, you know, different pictures and different ways of looking at things, and we and, and sometimes I think it's to rationalize how we can respond so that it, it, it makes it comfortable or easy or whatever. Um if you've been tithing for any length of period of time and, and even above and beyond in that sense in your giving, and you went over your 30-year or 40-year or 50-year walk with the Lord and you added it up, you might be surprised. You know? And you'll say, I don't know how I did that. I will share this with you. And I'm not saying that it happens this way for everybody. But... Before I was a Christian, I was making more money than I have made as any time in my life as a pastor. From 1973 to 1976, I won't tell you my income, but it was significant. In 1977, I paid more. Uh, I, I, I made, well, how, how do you put it? I made less than what I had paid in income tax the year before when I started my own business. So, you know, I went from being able to do pretty much, Kathy and I, anything we wanted to do, go anywhere we wanted to go and buy pretty much anything we wanted to buy. At the end of the time that I was done where I lived at that point, and we sold our house and, and moved back to uh, Southern California, and got started in my business and everything like that, if I compare where I was at the end of that three years, the, the top of my money earning there, I have more to show now in assets and things, if you will, than I had back then. Not that I'm worth much. Don't misunderstand that. It's just that I believe God has, has taken care of me. 
I uh, read an article, well, a number of things written by uh, Randy Alcorn. If you want to look at some things about giving, Randy Alcorn, the guy that did our, our study on, on heaven, has some tremendous assets, resources in the sense of, of giving. And they're, any one of them is well worth your reading. Another resource, though, is, is a guy by the name of Tim Keller. And uh, a lot of parallels between the two in the, in the sense of, of how they look at things. And this was something that Tim Keller uh, wrote uh, a while back. There have been times when people have come to me as a pastor and asked about tithing, giving away a tenth of their, notice how I put it, giving away a tenth of their annual income. They notice that in the Old Testament, there are many clear commands that believers should give away 10%. But in the New Testament, specific quantitative requirements for giving are less prominent. <laughs> you know, you know there, there's implications, but, but not for, you know, no statements. They often ask me, you don't think that now in the New Testament, believers are absolutely required to give away a tenth, a tenth percent, do you? And you notice how they even asked about tithing. You don't really think that this is a principle now, giving away 10%. I shake my head and I say no. And they give a sigh of relief. But then I quickly add, I'll tell you why you don't see the tithing requirement laid out clearly in the New Testament. And this is part of what I really see in all of this. Have we received more of God's revelation, truth, and grace from the old, uh, than the Old Testament believers or less? In other words, do we understand more about how God is working to save us and grace and, and provide and all this stuff than the Old Testament people got and understood? Even though they were faithful to the promise, they did, do we have more revelation than they had? Usually there's an uncomfortable silence when I ask this. Are we more debtors to grace than, we were, than they were or less? In other words, if we can see God more clearly, how much more, if they in an act of worship gave a tithe, should we be looking at that at least? Did Jesus tithe? By the way, you don't have a scripture that says Jesus tithe. We do have a, a scripture that he paid his taxes and stuff like the temple tax and this type of thing. But, but I, I thought, oh, here it comes, here it comes. Did Jesus tithe his life and, you know, his, did he, and then he says, did he tithe his life and blood to save us? Or did he give it all? Tithing is a minimum standard for Christian believers. I coincide with that thought. I will never know whether you do or you don't. And I want you to understand this part. My relationship to you as a pastor has nothing to do with this. What I want for you is to be able to experience everything that God has got for you in the sense of relationship and, and, and to see him at work. And I believe in our being faithful to a tithe is part of that picture. Just as we're faithful in reading his word, just as we're faithful in coming to him for forgiveness and all other aspects of our relationship with him, it's a paramount part of walking. And for some of you, you might look at that and say, there's no way I can tithe right now. It's not, there's no, nothing in my budget that even allows me to come close to doing that. Commit to a level of giving in. And see if God doesn't bless you. And see if you don't seem to draw closer to him. I am convinced that first and foremost it isn't the amount. It is the heart. And I base that on a widow's might has to do with your heart when it comes time to give and what God lays on your heart and you being at peace. And this is what I tell people. Take what you have decided, lay it on the altar before God and pray and ask God, if this isn't the way it should be for the moment, then, you know, this is what I see, this is what I understand. And like I said, I went back, I think, with numbers of wronged ways of looking at this and feeling okay right now. Why would God allow that? Because that was as far as he could take me at that point in time. And he's not done with me yet in this area of the very foundational idea of giving, let alone the spiritual gift of giving. I hope that this sets a foundation for you where I'm going to go in the next couple of weeks about giving 
And I also hope that, that I haven't offended anybody. I didn't want to. I just want to share with you how I see it, and I want it to relate to you. And, and just as I tell you, I don't want to miss any blessings from God. If you don't want all yours, I'm welcome. You know, uh, by the same token, I don't want you to miss anything that God has for you. I ask the uh, ushers to come forward for uh, passing the communion out and uh, hold it until we've all been served and we'll share together.
is only redemption through the blood of Christ and that reality that he didn't hold anything back. He gave it all. And when we, we see that, it becomes easier to understand how he can ask us that in an act of worship that we surrender all and offer ourselves as a sacrifice. And he doesn't mean 10% at that point. <laughs> he says, bringing all that we have, as perfect, all that we have to his throne and laying it down with a confidence that he cares so much for us that he will direct our path and provide our every need according to his purpose. Notice how I phrase that. Not necessarily according to my purpose. Sometimes we're right on. <laughs> More often than not, I'm catching up at best. But this is the reality of who Christ is and what he's done. When Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, tabernacle, not made with hands that is not of this creation, he, Christ, entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled uh, persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself through, without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance." Since a death has occurred that redeems them, us, from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. And basically, the moment we sinned in the sense of my understanding of, of, of being able to comprehend a moral right and wrong, we were guilty of the death sentence. And God's grace prevailed. Every one of us who are here even if you don't know the Lord personally, are still here by his grace. Mm. But if you know the Lord personally, and we come to the communion table and understand what we just read, and we realize the God of all creation is our Savior. God came in the flesh, and so he uses the bread to represent his flesh so that every time that we get together, we can do this and remember him. And so he gave the bread to his disciples after he'd given thanks and broken it. And he said, this is my flesh broken for you. And he asked us that as often as we would eat this, we would do it in remembrance of him. The scripture makes it clear at the end of the meal, he took the cup of, of wine, held it up and said, this is my blood that's poured out. And it's poured out to purchase the covenant. His life is in the blood. His life is poured out 100%. Nothing held back so that on the cross he could say it is finished so we could drink this cup today and rest in that as we remember him. And if that's not enough, he asked us to drink this together and eat this bread together until he comes again. When I say, you ask me how I'm doing, you probably get tired of hearing, oh, I'm fine, you know, or... Or, and then I'll say, one day at a time, one day closer. Mm -hmm. But you know what? I might even say back to you, how are you tomorrow? <laughs> Your response could be, I'll be one day closer. It must be a great day. Mm -hmm. Father, we thank you for all that you are to us, all that you've done for us, all that you're doing, all that you're going to do. Mm -hmm. But more than anything, we come right now saying thank you for inviting us to this table through your blood, through your grace, through your sacrifice. We come worshiping and saying, thank you, God, for the words on the cross that say it is finished because we know that there's nothing that we can bring to it that will change it. We can't make it better. We can't make it. We, we either receive it or we, we don't. We either rest in its truth or we don't. It's not how good we are or how bad we are or what 
test, it's the bottom line is whether or not we've confessed you with our, our mouth and, and received you in our heart. And knowing, God, that you invited us to do this, that you opened our eyes to see it, opened our ears to hear it. Thank you. We worship you this morning. We ask, Father, that you would cause us to be the men and women of Christ that you need us to be for our families, for our workplace, for our community, wherever you set our path, that we can be what you need us to be for the moment, which it truly is one day at a time, one day closer. Thank you that we have that confidence in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.